Good morning and welcome to Walking with Jesus Through the Word, one chapter per day. I am Pastor Jason Van Bemmel from Forest Hill Presbyterian Church. It's day 591 of our three-year journey through the Word of God, one chapter at a time. And we've come today, fix my camera a little bit, we've come today to 2 Chronicles chapter 19 and Jehoshaphat's reforms. So we saw yesterday that Jehoshaphat made a foolish decision to enter into a marriage alliance with Ahab, king of Israel, who was a very unfaithful king. And even though Jehoshaphat did lots of great things in Judah that led to reform and that led to security and that led to prosperity, he made that really bad decision to enter into that marriage alliance with Jehu, I mean with Ahab, uh, king of Israel, and that led him into a foolish battle directly against uh, the, the word of the Lord that came through Micaiah the prophet. So now he's come back home and another prophet is going to come and see him and we'll see how he responds to this word from the Lord. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we want to respond to your word today with faith and love and obedience. We want to have hearts that are tender and responsive, not hard and stubborn and foolish. So soften our hearts, prepare us to receive your word, and be our teacher and our God today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Second Chronicles chapter 19. Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, returned in safety to his house in Jerusalem. But Jehu, the son of Hanani the seer, went out to meet him and said to King Jehoshaphat, Should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? Because of this, wrath has gone out against you from the Lord. Nevertheless, some good is found in you, for you destroyed the Asheroth out of the land and have set your heart to seek God. Jehoshaphat lived at Jerusalem, and he went out again among the people from Beersheba to the hill country of Ephraim and brought them back to the Lord, the God of their fathers. He appointed judges in the land, in all the fortified cities of Judah, city by city, and said to the judges, Consider what you do, for you judge not for man, but for the Lord. He is with you in giving judgment. Now then, let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Be careful what you do, for there is no injustice with the Lord our God, or partiality, or taking bribes. Moreover, in Jerusalem... Jehoshaphat appointed certain Levites and priests and heads of families of Israel to give judgment for the Lord and to decide disputed cases. They had their seat at Jerusalem, and he charged them, Thus you shall do in the fear of the Lord, in faithfulness, and with your whole heart, whenever a case comes to you from your brothers who live in their cities concerning bloodshed, law, or commandments, statutes, or rules, then you shall warn them, that they may not incur guilt before the Lord, and wrath may not come upon you and your brothers. Thus you shall do, and you will not incur guilt. And behold, Amariah the chief priest is over you in all matters of the Lord, and Zebediah the son of Ishmael, the governor of the house of Judah, in all the king's matters. And the Levites will serve you as officers. Deal courageously, and may the Lord be with the upright." That is Second Chronicles 19, and it's a relief, right? It's a relief after we saw what happened with Asa 
Uh, and it's a relief to see here that although Jehoshaphat was foolish, and although he entered into this alliance with Ahab that he should not have, and he went up and went into a battle that he really didn't belong in, he could have very well been killed in the battle because he was the only one dressed like a king, and the king of Syria said, fight with no one but the king of Israel. He really put himself in harm's way because of his foolishness and his worldly political calculation. But he's confronted here by another prophet, and he receives the word of the Lord, and he responds with faithfulness. And I want us to see that what faithfulness looks like. Jehoshaphat is not so much concerned with setting up a sort of personal, sort of cult of personality, an authoritarian regime, a, a, a sort of an idea of him being the man. Rather, he wants the rule of law by the word of the Lord through duly appointed judges, Levites, priests. He wants a right and proper and just government under the rule of law, under the written law of God, and administered without partiality, without taking bribes. He's not doing this. In other words, he's not doing this to try to gain favor with the people or to try to strengthen his own wealth or power or position or the prestige of his house or to secure even more the dynasty for his children. He's not thinking about any of those things. It's very clear that he's thinking about the rule of law in the fear of the Lord. Judge according to what the law says and judge in the fear of the Lord. There's also a proper separation of church and state that you see here, which God actually sets up in the law. The Levites are over things that pertain to the things of God, and the priests judge in sacred matters, but there is also the civil state and the civil government that is administered by the king. And so that's where uh, he, he sets this up, right? Amariah, the chief priest, is going to be over these judges in all matters of the Lord. That is all matters related to cleanliness and uncleanliness and the right sacrifice and idolatry versus the right worship of God. All of those things that pertain to God and to his right and proper worship. But then you have Zebediah, the son of Ishmael, the governor of the house of Judah, who's going to be over these judges in the king's matters. Things about taxation and military service and things like that that would belong to the state. And so we do have this right biblical separation of church and state. Of course, it's all under the rule of God through his duly appointed servants in their office. Now, within the church today, how do we take a passage like this and apply it? Well, the kingdom of God on earth is no longer a geopolitical kingdom among the kingdoms of the world like Judah was. It doesn't have a certain territory. It doesn't have a certain earthly king. It doesn't have a certain written law that's given by God. But it is still the kingdom of God through the church spread like leaven throughout the whole world and every tribe, tongue, people, and nation to be salt and light in a rotten and a dark world, permeating influence. And what we ought to do is that within the church, we ought to be very careful 
that we follow the Word of God. We follow what God has given us in His Word, and that ought to be administered by deacons and elders who are the rightly appointed officers in the administration of the Word of God for the people of God. But then Jesus said, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. And Paul said in Romans 13, Every governing authority is established by God, and so you should render them proper obedience and, and honor. And Peter said in, in 1 Peter chapter 2 that you should honor the king and the governor sent by him. And so this is a biblical principle that we do, we do submit ourselves to the civil government. We don't expect the civil government to be a theocracy, to be under the written word of God as their binding constitution, because that wasn't the case when Jesus spoke about Caesar or when Paul wrote Romans 13 or Peter wrote 1 Peter 2. That wasn't the case. The Roman government was a pagan government, but it still had a proper law code that it was to follow, and it was to uphold justice, and it was to punish evildoers. And so we live as those who are salt and light, citizens of the city of God, ambassadors for Christ in this world, but we also live as those who are neighbors and friends with those who are in the world and citizens of the United States, or if you're in some other country watching this. And so we're, we, are, we are to balance these. Of course, our highest priority is always to the Lord and to the things of the Lord. And we dare not sin against God, even if the government were to tell us to do so. We would have to disobey the government and obey God. But most of the time, that's not the case. Most of the time, what we're called to do is to honor and obey God and to honor and obey the civil government in the things that it upholds as important issues of taxation and justice and the rule of law and those kinds of things. So that's one way that we can follow this in the church today. Another very simple principle is to be very, very thankful that we have a perfect king, King Jesus, and that when he comes again, he will unite heaven and earth. He will unite uh, the new Jerusalem, the city of God, with the new heavens and the new earth, the redeemed creation. And so we can look forward to and we can long for that day. And part of how we do that is when we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When we pray that part of the Lord's prayer, when we pray prayers that are modeled after that, we are praying that God's kingdom would advance, that Satan's kingdom would be defeated, and that Jesus would come again soon and bring into effect the kingdom of glory and perfection in the new heavens and the new earth. So that's how we take a chapter like Second Chronicles 19 and apply it to our lives today. Let's pray. Father, we want to be faithful. Because of your grace that has changed our hearts, because of your love that has shown us who you are, because of the calling that you've given us in our spirit, we want to be faithful. So we pray that you would help us to be faithful. Help us to be wise and understanding. Help us to be obedient and uh, to persevere in the faith and to give honor to whom honor is due and to look for and long for that day when the King of Kings will return and establish perfect justice forever. We long for that day and we pray for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, that's 2 Chronicles 19. Tomorrow, back to Hebrews to wrap that up with Hebrews 13. Have a blessed day in the Lord.